Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and we're doubling the beers this week. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. We're the Drunk Guys, and this week we are, I think, finally finishing the booker list with The Bee Sting by Paul Murray, and I'm starting with a beer. So there's a million things that happened in this book, and I just really wanted to use this beer, and I could find a lot of ways to connect it. Uh, connect it. But in the beginning, the first... Uh, character we follow is Cassandra and she gets mad at her dad's car dealership and he's like he should have more electric guitar uh, electric guitars what the fuck am I saying electric cars it's like he should go <laughs> Freudian slip yeah there. right, yeah, right. <laughs> he's like he should go very green <laughs> uh, and this is very green from uh, Treehouse which is an American double IPA they did this thing oh that's a, that's, that's damn good where they made like a beer called Green, and then they just have a million versions of it. So it's like very green, green with three Gs for some reason. It's like the way I name files on my computer. <laughs> I'm like, all right, this is, you know, document. And then I have a new version. Like, I don't know which one I want to keep. So I'll just do that and I'll add a letter at the end of it. And then <laughs> I look in the folder and there's like 17 versions of the same document. They just do that with beer names. Uh, this is awesome. Iterations. I remember seeing there was a subway ad for one of those like shitty HR software programs, and it's like texts people must be sending each other on the work Slack, and it's like, is the final version of this, you know, quarterly forecast underscore final underscore final final B, or is it (laughs) underscore final C? (laughs) Ultimate mega final. I know that ad. Draft. So um, the the B sting, which is the name of a sandwich, is the big boy book. It's what six hundred fifty pages. It's the largest of the short list. It is. It is a girthy one. And we were hoping to not have to read it at all, but here we are. It follows the what are the Barnes? Other hand, Barnes, the Barnes, Barnes, the Barnes family, and they're in Ireland, and it's like the year two thousand eight or so. And it's like two thousand ten. All right, whatever. And so it's like around the the fucking. It's like two years after the economy crashed in two thousand eight. Though a couple things didn't quite make sense with that timing, because there's like a flashback scene that's got to be 20 years earlier or something like that, and people are still text messaging. Like I didn't think that was a thing in the 90s. People were texting in the 90s. In Ireland, they were still like covered in woad and like <laughs> fucking. <laughs> it's just it's like looking for potatoes. Uh, so it's followed. There's a family, you know, like a nuclear family, seemingly perfect family of a husband who owns a family car dealership. His wife, who's really, really hot, so she's, it's Ireland, so she must be a ginger, I guess. Um, and there are she's two blonde. kids. They he say blonde, it a term. bunch of times. I know, I remember. <laughs> like, this is not giving me much to work with. Saying blonde Irish woman is about as specific as saying ginger Irish woman. Um, <laughs> and there are two kids, their daughter Cass, daughter Cass, not, not to be confused with Mama Cass, and their son PJ, uh, who the daughter's like 17 or something, and the son's 12. And that each section focuses in the beginning on a different character. And we start with Cass. And uh, she and her really irritating friend, Elaine, who are wrapping up whatever they call high school in Ireland. They're, they're taking their newts. Yeah, which, which is, is... I was trying to understand how that worked. They're called... In Ireland, they're called leading, leaving certifications because they're for leaving high school. Like final exams. So you can leave with a degree. Or a diploma. I mean, I, I get it. I, I get yeah. that. It just it does strike me as very, you know, British slash Irish to call them. Oh, it's a leaving certificate. That just is such a weird name. But Irish does have a lot of weird 
ways they say things. Wait, did you say weird ways they say things? <laughs> yeah, <I did. laughs> this I that's that's what my beer is called. No, actually, this is called Gra Irish Stout by oh. Alewife. The Gra, though I don't think it's pronounced that way, is the Gaelic for is the Gaelic word for love. Also fits with this book, and this is a Irish stout brewed with Dulra Irish seaweed, Irish oh. malt, and moss, plus brewed. By an Irish guy, exclamation point. <laughs> That's really funny. He just did that. There. Yep, there you go. Uh, you know, the store had Guinness, but I was like, eh, it's fucking, it's Guinness. This was more interesting. You say that now. Do you taste that Irish guy essence in there? <laughs> it does. Uh, <laughs> he dipped a shillelagh in it for you? Tastes taste like a bitter stout. It's an Irish stout. Yeah. But it tastes like, yeah. But it's a dry Irish style, right? It's probably like 5 yes. percent. Very, very watery. Thin body. Uh, it's, not, it's not that watery, actually. It is 4.7% alcohol. 47. So quite low. The year of the blight? <laughs> How could they? Black 47. Yeah. So that's the only reason anyway, I can remember what year that that's was. That's good. I don't think I can really taste the seaweed. That's probably a good thing. Yeah, probably. I don't know what the purpose of that was. Well, it's mentioned the moss. That, and except I, the fact that it's Irish seaweed. Irish moss is a thing that home brewers use all the time to kind of um, collect the floating debris when you're making beer so you get a clearer beer. I don't think professional brewers use that very much because they have better equipment that could do that instead. They have actual filters? Yeah, like Whirlpool things that'll just suck all the bullshit out. And also they're... Home brewers tend to be much more uh, economical, and they're like, "I want to get every fucking ounce of that beer." Whereas, you know, the scale that a brewery is operating, they're going—they know they're going to lose just gallons of beer because they're brewing in, you know, barrel quantities at that point. So, losing five gallons to filtering is insignificant compared to the three hundred gallons your batch has, or whatever it is. So that's maybe they just threw that in there. Or maybe there's a a different edible Irish moss out there that we're not even aware of because we don't eat fucking. It's all lichen. edible if you try hard enough and you don't mind diarrhea. Okay, so the book. <laughs> <laughs> there is some diarrhea in this book, but uh, <laughs> isn't there always? Much push to later. Uh, so the book uh, you first get in the first. Uh, passage the first chapter about Cass. so you get kind of a different chapter from each member of the family um each one longer than the last holy shit they were they were they were insane but anyway this first one you hear like a little bit of backstory of what's going on with the family but all you find out is that uh, at the very beginning pj asks Cass, hey did you notice that there are no wedding pictures of our parents, they're pictures of asks, everything or else. It's the friend that asks. It doesn't matter. Or the friends, maybe, or maybe Elaine noticed, but just there are all these pictures, but none of the wedding. What and and Cass was like, you know, it's a good, it's that's a good question. So she goes and asks her dad, and her dad is like, oh, oh, that's funny. Uh, let's see if I can, you know, dig them up anywhere, and then it promptly does nothing. So Cass is like, that's weird, and then she ends up talking to a guy at a bar. Some a little bit later in that chapter, who says, "Oh well, it was a shame about your your mother and your uncle," and she's like, "What?" And then he was like, "Yeah," and about that bee sting, and and she's like, "What?" She that has happened no idea. Way later, that was when she found out about her uncle. 
That's the end of her right. section. So, so this, this is, is still like, like this is still so this is at her section. I'm trying to set up like what the whole thing is. Oh, so okay. th- so basically, she finds out that oh, the story that she hears is on the way on the wedding day, her parents' wedding day. And there's a lot more to this story you find out later in the book. But all she finds out at first is that on her wedding day, her mom got on the car ride to the church or whatever. She got stung by a bee in the face. It got like the story is it got stuck under her veil and stung her. And so and so Cass thinks, oh, my mom is so vain that she just didn't want to have any pictures of this at all because she just couldn't stand it. Well, the mom is like a, you know, beauty that everyone mm-hmm. is constantly remarking how gorgeous she is. So, and, and you're getting, you know, in the be- this beginning part, you're getting just, I don't know if it was it first, I don't think it was first person, was it? Or was it just like tight it's kind third of, person? It's kind of like tight third person. Yeah. And just, it's just centered around Cass. But, but Cass is a teenage girl. And like most teenagers, she's like, my parents are, oh my God, they're so humiliating. I can't be near them. Um, she just hates, like, anytime her mom speaks, she's like, oh, you suck. And <laughs> and so we get, like, her version of it, and you're like, yeah, that mom does suck because it's filtered through an adolescent's brain, which those things are terrible. And so you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. The mom is a shallow person who's only obsessed with appearances, both physical appearances, but also, like, social appearances. Because her husband is rich because he's... Got the car dealership. Well, they call him they, Dick for short, actually, not Rich. Oh, yeah. Big Dickie Barnes. And he, you know... Isn't that the singer book, from the Boston's? What was his name? That's Dickie Barrett. <laughs> oh, so almost, okay. L- Normal-sized Dickie Barrett. Um, <laughs> and uh, so the book really, you know, the, the main plot device that happens is that the recession hits, and people stop buying new cars all the time when recessions hit. So his... Car dealerships are actually in trouble, and you know suddenly this rich family is in a little bit of trouble, and that's you know all because things are going bad for his business. <laughs> we actually had this once before in the future in an episode that hasn't come out yet that we recorded about nine years ago. It feels like um, the history of rock and roll book. <laughs> no, it was uh, Death of a Salesman. Oh yeah, that's I think that's this on is from um, the Patreon. Stillwater, and this is a thirteen percent stout and. Good luck to me. Oh, it's a little can. It's a baby can. It's a little can, but it's 13%. <laughs> Ooh, yeah. It's good, but it's strong. It, I can feel the booze hitting me already. Okay. So just a, since you mentioned Death of a Salesman, remember how at the end of the book we were, we were made fun of at one point where they're like, Dad will blow you to a dinner, whatever the fuck it was that they oh, kept yeah, he'll saying. Oh, yeah, he'll blow him. He'll blow him to dinner. We'll blow him to dinner. And All we're the like, way there. No, no, what he says that apparently I was talking to my dad a few weeks ago and his said that his mom used to use that expression. And she'd say, Come on, Bill, I'll blow you to a soda. He's like, Mom, you can, <laughs> if you're gonna blow me, you can I'll buy you the whole six pack. <laughs> <laughs> so that is a, apparently a real thing. And she was about of that we generation. Now. I mean, she's been dead a long time, so that was like, you know, nineteen you know, she was saying it. As a middle-aged woman in 1975, so well we know how she died now. Yeah, from blowing from blowing my dad. Yeah, I killed her. <laughs> she, she blew him. She blew my dad. And she's like, I can't live with the shame. <laughs> blew him to death. Uh, yeah, to her own death though, which is um, yeah. It was, it was a really okay, we have attack. so much more. It was a, to talk it was about. documented. Uh, 
So Cast is a teenager. She's got his friend Elaine, who is uh, the daughter An of asshole. Big Mike. No relation. <laughs> no relation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been uh, called d- Big Mike many times in my life and never in the way I want. Uh, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> so and Elaine is her best friend. Yeah, but it's also like, but Elaine is very attractive uh, and very and popular. Cass has eczema and is kind of weird. But is smart, like her father. Mm. And so they're talking about like, oh, we're they're just finishing school. And Elaine is like, they're both kind of rich. And they're like, well, we're going to go off to college in Dublin. It's going to be great. We're going to live together and we're going to have the best time. But then Elaine like realizes that she's hot and suddenly it's like all the boys at school are like after her let's go shift and then case and then Cass feels like a bit left out but then also you she kind of figures out more that her father's business is failing and that the they're, town they're no figures longer out yeah well the town knows and she kind of hears i forget how she hears but Anyway, she is like, oh, there's no way I can go off to college in Dublin. There's no money anymore. We don't even know how we're going to, you know, keep the house. And so instead of studying for all her exams, she just goes out drinking. And she's still like 17, but she like, there's an underage bar and then there are other bars. And along the way, they meet Richard, the Polish mechanic who's very hot and who comes back into the story like a thousand times. There's also a weird subplot that I don't know if it matters later about the teacher that was the poet that they get fired. Um, they didn't get her fired. Yeah, they left the book. Oh, Cass did. Cass did. Cass found the like pamphlet of she, like... She bought it. She ordered it off Abe yeah, Books or whatever she, the fuck it was. She ordered it and found the, you know, the, the pamphlet of poems that, the, that this teacher had written when she was in college, and some of them were kind of risque. I mean, but also, it's just Ireland. because she know. was because she was a but sub, she was a long term sub, yeah, yeah. And but and she the was, other teacher came back. No, that she was gone for a week. They, she left it. Dog eared the page. It was like, and thank you know the acknowledgments page. It was like, thank you to the bitches of Beastwick or something like that. <laughs> oh yeah. And then she left that in the the headmistress's desk or something. And then the next day, that teacher was just gone and had um, like wiped all her social media <laughs> that the kids had been snooping on. And it was, there was actually a funny phrase about that, like, but something to the effect of, like, adults are surprised when they put all this private information about themselves online, and then people read that private information, <laughs> like, they... Yeah, that's true. But I don't know if that mattered, but that's, like, another thing, kind of with this, maybe this well, this book could have been trimmed a little bit, uh, but there's, you know... There is a lot of fleshing out that ends up not being terribly, or at all, uh, related to the overall plot. It may just be that it's like, oh, I want to really develop this character. And, you know, and that is one of those things that authors are always accused of, right? Oh, this, char- this character didn't feel developed to me. And it's like yeah. such an arbitrary thing, you know? And uh, you, you can almost never get that right, probably. <laughs> Someone's always going to be pissed one way or the other. Yeah. And then they give you one star on your fucking podcast, these assholes. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so, um, Imelda, so Imelda, her mom and her father, Dickie, are like fighting all the time, usually about money or fighting or more like Imelda yelling at Dickie, you know, do something, especially call your father and ask for money because his father is the one that started the car dealership, you know, like 25 years before and was super successful and is like the, you know, super man about town businessman. 
Yeah, he now lives on a beach in Portugal, and he's. But they're like, call him. We're in trouble. We need the money. Call him. He's like, no, I can't admit that we're failing. And Cass is gets just sort of like goes out drinking more and more and more, and then goes to actually sit for her exam, and she sits down and is like, oh fuck, I have no idea what to write anymore. Even though she's she wants to study English, uh, and she's like good at it. So she has trouble during her test because she has basically given up on the idea of going to college because she thinks my family is broke. I'm not going to college anyway. So I'll just, you know, go out and get drunk all the time with Elaine and we'll make out with boys. And she has a lackluster boyfriend and Elaine is uh, making out with everybody in the room. Um, And there's one exciting scene. So one thing that I think is important is the opening of the book talks about, you know, there's a guy who killed his family. In the town over? Because they and live in a, they don't live in Dublin. They live in a small town, like a few hours outside Dublin, Dublin where yeah. there's, where nothing happens. But they, they later go like, let's go to, the, let's go to the house where that guy killed his family. And they go there with Richard, but the Polish spelled Polishly. And he, 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 in my head, I mean, he's supposed to be really, really, really beautiful. Uh, but he sounds like the guy from like singing Berserker in Clerks. And he's like, well, do you like to make some fuck? And they're like, going... <laughs> he probably looks like one of the guys in Good Charlotte or something like that. But he's really Some, Someone really would be like really hot to But even the moms think he's good looking, you know? So mm. he can't just look like an emo bitch. <laughs> he just has like pretty features too. But anyway, um, I'll think about that when I'm alone later. So he's... <laughs> don't tell my family. He is then... Um, they, they go there and they realize like they don't fucking know where this house even is. <laughs> They're just like going around and asking me, and he's going up to strangers asking in whatever a Polish accent is, and he's going, where is Death House? And then they're like, get the fuck out of here. And so then they hang out and make out with each other and with Richard in the woods until they decide to like well, They, they go, go into the uh, the little tool shed thing that they have discovered in the woods behind their house that they call the bunker, where they used to party with people and like pregame and smoke cigarettes and do Teenage shit. It's not pretty sweet. I, I could imagine being 16 or 17 being like, this is the best. We could sit on this discarded couch and drink warm beer. <laughs> like, mm. It's fucking lame, but that's how teenagers think. Yeah. But then she, get, she sits for the test, and the question on the test is about Sylvia Plath, which she had loved and was studying with that teacher she got fired. And then she's like, oh, fuck, I don't know. I've read anything. Like, her mind is blank because she's been partying and she's like, oh, escape. And that's the end of her section. I'm like, okay, we'll find out how that went later. Shift gears to the brother, PJ Pajamas. For So now PJ is 12, and he's extremely awkward, just like... Every 12-year-old boy? I wasn't boy. sure if the... I mean, I wasn't sure if the author was trying to say he's actually autistic or if he's just a normally uh, awkward 12-year-old. I actually could have been just, one. I think he was just dweeby. Yeah, he was he's, he's he's smart. like a video he's game savvy. kid, you know, and he's got big awkward feet, and he won't tell his mom his feet are too big for his shoes because they're poor now, so his feet are always bleeding. That was heartbreaking. That part, you know, like kids do that. You know, kids kids realize what the stress are what's in their family, and then he's like, "Oh fuck, my mom's gonna be," but they like, they also don't understand how parents or adults are gonna react to things, and you know, he's gonna think they're gonna be mad at me, but like the parents are mad at each other. And he's, you know, kids do other collateral damage. So he's wearing these shoes that are way too small and he's 
getting blisters and bleeding from his feet. And so he's then hiding the socks because then they see the blood-stained socks. I'm like, man, that kid's jerking off way too much. There should be no <laughs> blood on those cum socks. <laughs> but he's not washing the socks because the blood won't wash out, so he's got a massive stash of bloody socks. He's going to run out of socks at some point. Yeah, I mean, the, it's a kid plan. Kid plans are terrible. <laughs> yeah. He's very yeah. afraid that they're going to send him to boarding school where he will be raped. Which is 100% what's going to happen there. But he's hanging out with his friend Nev, who is the worst. Uh, he, 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 that kid sucks. They should send him to whatever boarding school uh, things happen to you at. Um, Hogwarts, probably. That's where kids just die. They do and die. I really like when the friend is just like, this is boring. Let's look at porn on my phone. <laughs> and then it's like the you may also like videos. It's like wow, Nev, I'm seeing a lot of dwarf porn here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they are kid sized. <laughs> I mean, let he who among us uh, who has not uh, watched some dwarf porn cast the first stone. But to only watch dwarf porn that's a that's a bold move. Yeah, no, it's very you're gonna run out. It's just really upsetting because you're like, even he has a big one. Uh, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they're both like obsessed with like the space Nazis fake game or something like, like Call that. A, Call of Duty like, game, right? Sounds like Castle Wolfenstein, but just oh yeah, in space. I don't know something like that. But uh, of course, this is kind of funny. But when he's in town or in school or something, a kid goes up to him and says. Your dad screwed my family. You owe us 162 doubloons or whatever they U- use there. Euro. Euros. 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 Euro. <laughs> doubloons. Because it's like, you You know, my mom brought the car into the shop. Cougarans. And, <laughs> and they didn't fix it. You owe me 162 euro or I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And, and it's a big, it's a big dumb kid from the ghetto, like who they only call ears because he looks like shrek <laughs> and I, I think it's 163 because i definitely am on the spectrum but and so, so he's <laughs> he's terrified and so he's terrified he's like he's tries to he will do anything or more like first he's gonna like sell his video games but he can't sell them any of them for more than like a dollar and he's but like he does he sells everything oh yeah he does he sells everything he has which is almost nothing he has of almost nothing but and nev says he'll loan him the money if he'll let him fuck his sister and Nev sucks so much, man. <laughs> he, I was really hoping he would just tell ears, like, Nev, Nev has the money. You have to get it from him. He took it from me. No, doesn't work out. And he sits Instead, in the he spends a lot of time coming up with another plan where he's going to maybe... He's, he's talking to his friend online, like yeah. all kids do. Talking to a, a guy Red flag who, Harry. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you know, if you are above the age of 12, you're like, this is definitely an internet pedophile. But since he is 12, he doesn't think that. He thinks he is another kid who just is his friend from the internet. Yeah, the friend's like, you know, you should just run away from home and hang out here. My mom made cookies. <laughs> oh, that's how that works. Yeah. I'll save you some cookies. Like, they literally talk about the cookies multiple times. And right at the end of his chapter, he asks, like, are you real? Uh <laughs> Well, that's after the part where the guy texts him like seven pages of text that are like "fuck you, Jew." <laughs> so, like, yeah. he's like, "Did I, I send you that? From. That was a that was a virus. <laughs> I got hacked. I got hacked. I, got hacked. I was on a lot of Ambien because <laughs> <laughs> because got he got really close to be like I'm gonna run away. I'm leaving this afternoon. I'm gonna come meet you. And he's like, "Oh, I'll meet you on the bus." 
And then he doesn't show up, and the guy sends him the angry fucking Nazi messages. I don't know why I kept calling him a Jew. That was yeah. really weird. I mean, they have like three Jewish-Irish people, I imagine. There are several, yes. I mean, there are not that many people in Ireland to begin with, but it must be, it must be fucking wild to be an Irish Jew. <laughs> in, a, in a place that is like one breath away from theocracy, <laughs> Catholic <laughs> theocracy, that must be a crazy experience. Yeah, for all, all both of them. <laughs> so he has this plan to sell his stuff, and then like that, he keeps getting beat. This kid, this fucking goon child, keeps like flashing a hammer at him. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you for my family's 163 bucks or whatever it is. And because PJ is a kid, he does not tell the adults in his life. He's like, I can handle this. <laughs> This is, leave it to me. I don't even have fucking well, shoes at work. His parents are fighting and don't have any money. And he's like, I have to, I can't, I have to, they can't help me. I have to solve this on my own. And he's got this thing. And then he gets his cross. He prays like, oh, my, you know, granddad or named Morris, won't he come help us? And then a day later, you find out, oh, he's going to be here. He, he's just been given the like local Business award for business things. The local Rotary Club honoree. Yeah, the, the Kiwanis Club, yeah. Well, he, he realizes it would be like bad. It would be tacky to say, God, please give me, you know, 57 euro. How about it says, God, send grandpa who is rich to fix this. It was, and I was like, that I could do. <laughs> yes, my son, I can send you your grandfather. So his grandpa's going to come back from Portugal, back to whatever little town in Ireland they live in is and accept the award and it gets there it's like oh we're you know we're gonna there's we have to go off to the big ceremony and they like buy new nice clothes and that's what his mom like is like oh we're gonna get you a new pair of shoes for this and he takes off his shoes and his socks are bloody and he's you know it's very very sad uh in the and but he's like oh granddad why don't you buy me these boots that cost exactly 57 euro can't you uh because his uncle who he is apparently the spitting image of uncle deceased uncle frank was really good at the footy and so everyone's like you should play football and he and he's like he sucks at it because he's a dweeby nerd kid but he knows if he says that to the grandfather oh i've been practicing my penalty kicks or whatever the fuck it is the grandfather will be like oh of course i'll sponsor i'll give you money for that because his uncle is dead. He died when he was very young, and it messed up the family. And also, at this point, Cass is, you know, it's from PG's perspective, so he's just seeing his older sister being a real bitch. But he's she's listing the reasons she's a full-blown breakdown. Bitch. Yeah. He's like, reason number eight. <laughs> he just keeps going. Listing she shits in the saw. bedroom. Uh, <laughs> but also, she's having a breakdown, because she heard this guy at the bar tell her, like, Oh, you know, it's, it's a we. You know, it's crazy how you know your uncle Frank was uh, engaged to your mom. She's like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And then she's now thinking, "I was born five months after the wedding. Is my dad even my dad, or am I Frank's kid?" And she's drinking a lot, and then everyone's accusing her of being alcoholic. Who knows if she is? It's Ireland. Yeah, um, like the thresholds uh, either very high or very low. I don't know. And um, <laughs> so she's having a breakdown. PJ's trying to get cash for this thing. And then they go to this 
club and the mom is freaking out. She's like, she wants her husband Dickie to ask for money from Maurice, but he doesn't want to do it because uh, he, he doesn't want to do that for you know m- many reasons. But she is very, very worried about losing everything. And, you know, she's coming across as kind of a, you know, spoiled trophy wife, stay-at-home lady. It makes more sense when you get to her section. But it is just like, we got to get money from your dad or we're going to lose everything. I'm going to have to sell my various accoutrements, you know, and all this shit. And I hate it. And then uh, he so does get the money. Up, kids. He gets yeah. the money for the, for, the, for the shoes. And then he finds out that, because he, he had been keeping all the money in the quote-unquote bunker, as in a stash, and he gets out there, and he finds that his dad has been working in the area uh, with Victor, his weird homunculus friend. <laughs> doomsday prepper. Yeah, doomsday prepper, uh, you know, survivalist, extremist. And um, shitty carpenter. <laughs> and shitty carpenter. And there, his dad is basically pouring himself into future-proofing the house because he's lost all control of his life. Uh, so he goes bunker, and they have sealed it, and now he can't get any of the money. And he's like, aw shucks, the end. Yep, yep. And then it goes to Imelda's perspective, his mom's perspective. Rambling So this is where the book, like, the way it's made is you kind of find a little bit of the story, and everything looks one way, and then it shifts to a different, to different member of the family's perspective, and you find out all of this backstory and about how things are actually way different than you thought, or just at least a lot more complicated, in that his mom isn't just the, like, looks-obsessed, status-obsessed trophy wife, although she does kind of seem that way, but she actually had a very hard childhood she was dirt fucking poor. She was raised by all the villains from a Guy Ritchie movie. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, like Bullet Tooth Tony was her dad. Like it, she lives in. Bullet Tooth Tony was too nice to be her dad. She lives in complete. I, I couldn't understand when the dad is showing his fight videos to people. Like were those like bum fights or that was the dad street fighting people in parking lots and it was being videotaped. Uh, I have to imagine they were not because that would have been too old to have done that. But it, no, one but they, no one they know gu- could have afforded a video camera. <laughs> but it's like, you know, he's beating guys and they fall on the because the tarmac, which is what they call asphalt over there. And, and he's like, and then um, Dickie opens like, didn't people get hurt doing this? <laughs> like, how does he not get brain damaged? You're like punching his head against cement or whatever. But she has a, the first thing though in her section um I, I got to drink this beer. Fucking Jesus. Um, that shack thing, it's in the woods, right? <laughs> um, it's like they're building it with, uh, uh, like, you know, lumberjacks or something. I don't know. <laughs> what? <laughs> the lumberjacks work in the woods. This is called coconut lumberjack style from Timber Ales, an imperial stout aged on coffee, maple syrup, and coconut. Oh, sweet, sweet Lord. That's a lot of chocolate. I need to cut off a toe. So the most important thing, though, is it starts off with... That's really good. It starts off with the mom's <laughs> story. Uh, going to that, you know, Kiwanis Club, Knights of Columbus dinner or whatever it is. And she just has to take a shit. She's like, I have to take the worst shit ever. <laughs> this is so bad. It's just, literally the first line of her chapter. Just hold it together. In this chapter, by itself, is 
at least one and a half Western lanes. It is like, it was really long. It's so fucking long. And there is zero punctuation. I, when I got to that, it was a few pages in. I was like, wait a second, there's no fucking anything here. It's still capitalized properly, like when new sentences begin, but there's just no periods or commas. I found that, or quotation marks, it was just, what the fuck, man? That's obnoxious. One of the comments I read on the internet was like, it's to show that she's uneducated, but it's like, I don't, that's not I don't know if that's why. To me, it was like, because she, she should have been saying more fucking grammatically incorrect frantic. Shit. Like, she's just fucking losing her mind with despair. It's like a stream of consciousness, right? Yeah, she's just rambling, and she's probably like, you know, just... But it wasn't rambly. It was very orderly. It just didn't have punctuation marks. Yeah. I mean, it is a stream of consciousness, I guess, the way you would think if you thought very matter-of-factly. I don't know. <laughs> but but stream of consciousness, your thoughts aren't orderly. They're yeah. crazy. And this was just a regular... It wasn't even... It didn't just drift in and out of time and place. It was totally linear. Character, it even still had the things like he said, she asked. It still yeah. even had those in there. It's just zero. Just, he just deleted, he just like found, you get rid of all the punctuation marks. And I was like, that's, come on. But I, when I, I a few pages, I realized, I, I questioned, was the first bunch like this too? <laughs> like, did I just like, did he just fucking gaslight me into thinking this is how books work now? And I was like, oh no, okay. That was just, all right. I'm, I wasn't sure how, if I had missed it for a few pages or I had missed it for a lot of pages. <laughs> missed it for 200 pages. Like, wow, this is fucking, what else have I missed? <laughs> but, <laughs> so she has Everything. to take a hot shit and they go to the. Well, fucking, she was hot, but still trash like everyone was like the reason people looked at her is because she was hot but like her whole family was like if not actual criminals then oh yeah criminal uncaught criminals uh like just destitute and oh, like, and and slum people when the when the, the neighbor complains about their barking dog the dad's solution is to beat it to death with a brick <laughs> they, yes they're they're uh Oof. They're, they're, and they're, also, her aunt is a witch. Yeah, her mom is the mom from uh, What's Eating Gilbert Grape. She's just like a morbidly obese, sickly woman in a bed. and Sinking, she has, in, sinking into the folds of things. She has some number of brothers, one whose name is Lar, which is um, a singular. Short for Lars. Lars. Yes. Lars. <laughs> his full name is Lar Ulrichs. <laughs> no, there's, there's two brothers named Lar, and together they are Lars. <laughs> They do the fusion dance. It's like the Wonder (laughs) Twins. They take the form of Irish peasant. (laughs) (laughs) And they live in a house, like, you know, the estates or something, you know, like the the equivalent of council housing. housing. And and they have a permanent house on, uh, not house, a car on cinder blocks in front of their house. (laughs) Like they're the Irish, it's, it's Mick Sanford and son. It's just, they live in a garbage dump. And her dad is a complete thug, and going nothing, nothing goes, nothing is going well. It's, it's there's some there's this one harrowing passage where the guys break into the house to find money, or the dad. And it's like, oh my god, they're gonna fucking do something horrible to this young girl. They when have her up on the counter with her legs spread, and the guy's squeezing her inner thigh, and he's like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna teach you something, but then. Mama McVoodoo shows up and uh, 
her, I guess her aunt or just it's her aunt, Aunt Rose. But is she? I don't know. Who, is it her actual aunt? That's or what is I mean, that yeah. just what everybody calls her? Oh, it's Aunt Rose. I got the sense that it was her actual aunt, but I guess I never thought about it another way. I mean, because I mean, she seems sure. to live there. Yeah, but she's also taking care of the mom who actually is dead at this point. So I guess she wasn't there for that reason. But she walks in and goes and just knows all of the men who are there to rob the place and are going to rape Imelda. And she's like, oh, Bobby, Mick, whatever. And then Johnny. O'Shaughnessy. And, <laughs> yeah, just, just names them all. It's like, oh, say hello to your mother for me. Yeah. I mean, not like that way, but just, just like, oh, say hello. And then they're all like, wait, what? She just walks in there with these men who are robbing the place. And it's just like, what? And she just says, what are you boys doing? Well, she Get tells them, here. She tells like, them that she sees the black dog outside. There is so much foreshadowing in this book. It's kind of like everything that has going to happen in the second half happens in the first half. I see why book people like this. Dog. In Irish mythology, seeing a black dog somewhere is a, a herald of, of someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's probably what the song might be about. Um, but if you see a black dog, it means someone is going to die. The dog appears outside where someone's going to die. Isn't that the so fucking they're the, all the Grim from Harry Potter? <laughs> huh? Whatever it was. Remember that in Harry Potter three, they keep seeing the black dog, but it's serious black. Hiding. Oh yeah, it's just like humping people's legs. He's like, I'm watching you, Harry. Well, do you remember in um, what was it? Uh, Watership Down, the rabbit book, when they talk about the black rabbit of Inlay, who is the harbinger of death. Wait, we had a patron called that. What the fuck, we didn't catch that. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Actually, I didn't think about that. I knew I'd seen it before. Like, yeah, I know that what that means. I mean, we were too uh, busy yeah. making haraka to, to know the, <laughs> just taking rabbit dumps. <laughs> Delicious. Um, but yeah, she says she sees the black dog, and they're all like, you know, small town, desperately impoverished, superstitious guys that are like, we better get the fuck out of here before this ghost dog. The ghost dog doesn't actually kill you, but it means you're going to die. So like, let's get the fuck out of here. So they, they jet. We could trick fate by leaving early. <laughs> this is, fate hates loopholes. <laughs> so she so yeah. Imelda they, they goes don't to live and so they don't and so um, then Imelda goes to live with Rose and Rose is just like I'm I'm taking her I'm sorry you can't you can't have her anymore you have 47 <laughs> brothers they're all named Lar except for the fat one <laughs> Lard <laughs> what is Lar is Lar short for something <laughs> is that like, is that like Larry or something Lar Lawrence <laughs> That's who gets it. Yes, Lawrence of Lawrence. Yeah, Arabia. Yeah. Or, they yeah. don't pronounce the W. Ireland, anyway. yeah. <laughs> they couldn't afford the W. Um, <laughs> yeah, so she leaves, and then one time she's at a bar and she sees a hot young thing. She's like, "That's a hot young thing," and he and sees her. He's, he says the same like, thing. That's that's a hot young thing. And, he and says, his name was Frank. His name is Frank, and he does sports. And he's what the local sport? football star. So I think he was the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, he is this, definitely this, this not whole a tight thing end. was like just like every American high school story, where it's like the quarterback of the the super popular guy, except and, uh, the poor girl. They're not even playing soccer. He plays Gaelic football, which is a sport that I don't even know what that is. Well, a Gaelic is when two men. <laughs> <laughs> Just as much balls. Love each other very much. Uh, so, yeah, I have no, I, I'm picturing more of a rugby style thing, but I, I, I think I it's something like that. 
but I, I honestly don't know because they keep talking about the GAA, which is the Gaelic Athletic Association, where they just play sports that no one outside of Ireland has ever heard of or knows about. Yeah, they're just doing that in like a fucking thing where you launch a log, <laughs> like, like watch a, a log, la- launch a log, like some like Irish Highland Games stuff, <laughs> and then leprechaun hunt and uh, shillelagh juggling, and then and drinking. Drinking is one yes. of the main sports, probably because that is a sport that they all do. Um, yes. when they're not playing the other sport. Or while you're just waiting for your turn to play the other sport, like you're on the bench, it's, you're hydrate. <laughs> Drinking on the bench, yeah. But he's really... But he's, it's like a semi... It's like kind of professional, like... Because he's not in school. Like, it, no, no, he's professional. But professional that he, you know, making no money. Professional Gaelic football, which is like being a professional lacrosse player. Like, it exists, and you're surprised... <laughs> <laughs> and people who are into the sport and you're good at playing think you're like everyone in town it like loves him because it's like know, squash he's the star mm. so it, it yeah it's, it's a thing there and nowhere else they even named it that it's like this is just for us um so she and frank hit it off and they start you know seeing each other and they're the hottest people in town and it's nice and her dad likes him because he's like a good sports person and because like his family is rich. And because his family is rich. And Frank's dad obviously sees that they are just trash people. And he's like, I don't love this. But but Imelda know. puts on the charm. And she realizes that Maurice is the kind of guy who she could charm by kind of acting naive and innocent. She's like, well, how do you say this word on the menu? That's a fancy word. And he's like, oh, languistines. And I was reading that. I was like, what the fuck does that mean? I'm not even charming enough. Is it like a shrimp? It's a fucking shrimp thing, yeah. But yeah, why they needed to make a longer name for a smaller food, I don't understand. But she uh, she, she realized she could work. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, that's why there's so many syllables in penis. Uh, So she... (laughs) realizes she could kind of work him and, and then she, where she's you know kind of almost it kind of didn't make sense actually like she goes from being this like fuck it up childhood and there's all these other little throwaway lines like when they go back at some point to visit her town and she sees a sign that says like what was it tori tori is wet for anthony or something like that is spray painted on the side of a house and she's like mm. i remember when tori was a little girl playing with dolls down the block like it's just a fucked up sad place and she just has horrors, but she never like has to do anything about it. Like she doesn't. Well, have, it's not like she has to figure it out. She makes it out. She does, but then all of a sudden married. she also has like the skill set of the you know like the cliche where that person's like I had to I did what I had to do you know and now she's like now I know how to manipulate grown men. But it also could just be because she's very pretty and uh, it's that is entirely it. Men will definitely be manipulated by that pretty easily. So Frank is very well liked by everybody, and he's good at the football, whatever kind of football it is. He's good at the football. <laughs> but he also is, like, lazy and doesn't kind of, like, he's have dumb. ambitions in life, I guess, because he also drinks a lot. Because he's a he's fucking like, he's jock. Irish. <laughs> he's, yeah, because he's a he's, jock. He's 19 years old. And he's also, like, kind of selling, trying to sell drugs on the side, but I thought that would be a little bit bigger deal. But, but he just uses them all wasn't. himself. He's also selling cars on the side. And then, but he, so you kind of find out some of this later, but Imelda's father has basically threatened Frank, like, you need to marry her now. 
you need to just marry her, even though he's like 19 and she's like 17, you know, but I want my daughter to marry into this family so that we can actually have some money, you know, it's like that, that's his main thing. And so, and Frank is like, I'm, you know, sure, I love her, but she's, but I'm 19. And she won't have sex with me. Yeah. And she's, she's determined to stay pure for her, for her wedding. And then he like says he like kind of at one point says he's going to leave. He's like, I'm just going to go do a year or two year course in, in London, a course on marketing or something stupid like that. But really it's like, out of there. Yeah. I just, I just need to like get out of here. And it was like, but, and then Imelda, this is all in Imelda's chapter. She's like, I'm so sad. But then he comes back and then proposes and he, uh, and so they're, they're going to get married. And they're like making the preparations and everything. He, he said he doesn't say let's get married. He says let's get engaged. And she's like, I didn't realize till later that he said it that way. You know, the foreshadowing One step at a time is well. I mean, it is, they, he wasn't lying, but <clears throat> the foreshadowing is strong in this book. It's very... practically five shadowing. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're like, in they're about to get married, uh, but then. Frank dies in a car accident. And although one, one thing that had happened before that is like they, uh, Frank and Imelda go to Rose cause she's like a, she reads tea leaves and you know, he has calls visions. her gypsy Rose. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Imelda is like, tell us, tell, tell us our fortune. Just tell us we're going to have, you know, we're going to have a sunny day for our wedding. And she says, I see a ghost. I see she a goes, ghost at your wedding. I see a burning bale of hay. Oh, yeah. I see the sun and a ghost. at, And there's a ghost at the wedding. And they're like, that's cool, too. Those are... Does he want chicken or beef? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, bride side or groom side for seating purposes. We just need to know. Then, of course, Frank dies in a car accident. On the way in a fog, or oh, she says fog too. Yeah, she's yeah, there's going to be fog, and there's a very deep fog. And he just drives off the road and into a field. And even though Ireland is flat, he still manages to die somehow. His car catches on fire and explodes. And it's like something about the hay catches on fire too. When when you leave the hay out in the sun and it gets wet, the heat from the insides, like how composting works, composting gets hot. And since the hay is out there and the outside of it is dry from the sun, it just combusts. So it'll, sometimes hay bales, hay stacks will just combust and burn. Composting is really hot in the inside. It's the only way you could really make love to Mother Earth is mm. through that warm. That's science. Yeah. And it's good, too. It's, 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 uh, <laughs> it helps with it's rejuvenating. Bacteria. Yeah. <laughs> So the pH levels have to be just right. <laughs> then Amelda is, of course, devastated, and all of Frank's family is devastated, and she they're just like out of their minds with grief. And then she's just sort of like staying over at Frank's house or Frank's family house, you know. And then she's just like in between, like weeping and everything. She fucks his brother. Dicky, who you've like barely ever heard he's of, not at, in her so chapter. Far. In her chapter, then. she she barely knows who he is. Yeah. He's just like, oh yeah, Frank's older brother. He's the nerdy one who went to college and is tapped to take over the business. Frank he's the is second not. favorite son. Well, Frank was not going to take over the business because Frank is incompetent and you know couldn't do that. And whereas Dicky 
was the brains who had, you know, went to uni. So the dad was going to have, and Frank, there was like angst there. But then in their consoling of each other, they have the sex many times. Just as yeah. boning. And then after doing that for a couple months or a couple weeks, probably only a couple weeks. Do you think if, days, if after a mournful sexual act, Nate, some air escapes from the you know lady bits, is that a griefer? Would you call that a griefer? No? Jimmy? Is it a griefer? Uh, I think... I think Technically, yes, that yes. is. Yeah, it's. I have to check. I have to consult Oxford's, but yes, I think it's in the unabridged one. <laughs> Definitely unabridged. Yeah, it's such a rare thing. But it's a breath of you don't fresh need that air in the when it happens. <laughs> Nate's not pleased. Okay, sorry, Nate. We'll be <laughs> so grief okay. queefs are somehow that's the line for this podcast. <laughs> so Imelda gets pregnant, and. Um, at first, she's like, well, obviously, I'm going to take care of it. But then Dickie is like, no. He's like, oh, you'll raise it? Goes, no, no, I'm going to take care of it. <laughs> yes. I'm going to throw myself uh, down the stairs because this is Ireland. She yeah, goes but, to Gypsy Rose. Like, can you, like, whip up some sort of thing with a dead man's toe and get this shit out of me? <laughs> but then Dickie says, no, don't do it. Marry me instead. I want to be there. I want to. I want to, like you know, take care of you because Frank can't anymore, and I love you. He says, and so they decide to get married, and then they go and they like you know have the wedding really pretty soon because you know she's already pregnant. And there's a scene where they, Laura, where Dicky is trying to ask Imelda's father, "Oh yeah, I want to marry her," and he's like. You fucking idiot. <laughs> like, no fucking way. But they're still going to do any. But, and he was like, wait, I thought, and he was like, I feel like he didn't know we were getting married, even though, you know, because Imelda just had told him. So they do. And then they like have the wedding and she like has the thing on her face. So she has the veil, but she's like, and just the whole wedding, I just looked for Frank. I was just like, I'm going to do this because... So I could see Frank's ghost. And then she realizes, wait, no. I was the ghost. That was me with the veil. And it's the ghost of the life she could, was going to have. It's a metaphor. Worst kind of ghost. Least spooky. So that's the end of her section. You still don't find out she took so that shit Actually, yet. no, there's more because then you sort of like flash forward back to present and like Cass. Oh, yeah. She still hasn't taken a shit. Yeah, <laughs> all, all, all the women are talking about. Uh, yeah, she has to talk about Cass and how all the women are horrific cliches of women from Sex in the City. <laughs> They're just like, my husband doesn't want to fuck me anymore, and the other's like, my husband only wants to fuck me. My husband wants to fuck a secretary. And then I like, go about you, Imelda. You're so beautiful. And she's like, yes. When I have sex with my husband, it's all so neat. And they're like, I'll take neat. That sounds fine. Which I'm not really sure what that means yet. I was thinking about that a lot. What is neat sex? Like, please put on your sex bib. <laughs> I don't want to spill any cummies. It, it means he's not. He's, he's just going through the perhaps motions. that into it. Mm. But is it because it can't fit? He can't get that into it. Or, yes. or we're talking about different things now. The reason his name is Dicky. Yeah, I see why they call you Dicky. And your brother Frankenbeans. <laughs> <laughs> His was mostly beans. You know, the names were Frank and Dickie. Those were the kids' so names. The, the Dong Brothers. 
They're the co-pilots of the Bang Bus. <laughs> and their third brother, Silo. <laughs> and Meat Tornado. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so Cass has thought this whole time that she's going to have failed her exams and that she's not going to be able to go to college. And she's so angry because Elaine has gone off with a different one of their high school friends to like look at apartments her high In school Dublin. enemy, the girl they oh, hate, yeah. they were mean to, the poor girl who was just a striver. And they were cunty teenagers who were like, look at this dumb bitch who's poor. <laughs> and then when Cass is poor, she's like, I have to be friends with her. This sucks. Because <laughs> Elaine ditches her. We skip that whole part. because There's just so much fucking book. Also, all the so uh, subtle budding um, uh, lesbian stuff. Was what hinted at. Was that when she said yeah. lesbi friends? And she was like, why did you yeah, say it that way? she wanted to be more than friends with Elaine. But she couldn't, couldn't tell her. Mm. Hot. But then it goes to, to Dickie, and you get a real dicking on his story. Which talk about getting dicked dicking. over. Yeah, he gets dicked over and under and innered. <laughs> I'm out of... What are those words? Out of prepositions. Prepositions. <laughs> he he so liked a lot of positions. <laughs> <laughs> so after Imelda's like immense chapter, it's like, wow, that I hope that was the longest one. Nope. Uh, I think this one is even longer. So That's what they say first, to Dickie, now, too. Now, <laughs> now you get, uh, uh, you know, first Dickie's like childhood a little bit about how he wasn't well liked at all in the everybody, yet everybody liked his younger brother, Frank, and like his would beat him up at school and pull, bully him and beat him up and you just couldn't like he ever fight nerd. back yeah because he was a nerd and then eventually he like uh graduates and goes off to university uh in dublin and at first he like has no friends but he passes some like exam and gets into the, like the really the, so it gets like stu- on, on on campus housing for like the nerds and he's like, this is kind of nice. And he like kind of has friends a little bit, but still not quite. And then one, and then he discovers the debating society. Yes. So not the debate team. I forget what they're called, <laughs> but then he's like. The master debaters, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it always is. He's like fascinated by it, especially one. But it's also, one. they're not just necessarily debaters. They're doing all their debates in a gay bar. Nearby, no, they're doing it at the college, at a college like auditorium. Really, I thought they were. He was going to the debates at the gay bar. Maybe they had like after hours, after hours extreme debates. You know, no rules, Thunderdome style. I think that's just called a fight. (laughs) (laughs) Debating with their fists. I think you just punch each other. (laughs) Well, either way, he ends up. Hanging out with a lot of uh, the gay students, and he goes home with a dude because he's like, he doesn't think he's gay at the time. He's just like, I don't know what's going on. And he goes home after one of these gay bar adventures when a guy goes to his place, and then the dude rapes him. And you're like, this took a turn. Okay. Uh, Yeah. And then he sees the guy again later, after like hanging out in the area again and the dude beats the shit out of him. He's like a sailor. So he's like 
closeted or you know. Well, no, he was a police officer. Oh, it was a police. It was a cop. Okay. Yeah, he was a cop. I thought that was confusing. Like, why? why? Is he a sailor. They just no, he his was uniform a, with like the thing. Yeah, so he's like, "Don't look at me," because he don't. He didn't want it. The, the guy didn't want well, it to makes, see. Like, it his makes identity. certain positions hard when you're looking at them. Huh? Certain positions are impossible when are, when you're looking at them. True. But the guy beats the shit out of him, and he he tells his family he got hit by a car, and that's why they're always talking about like, yeah, time this, to get hit by a bus. Where you had the accident, where you hit by that car is like, yes, a car that beat the fuck out of me. And at that point, his friend. Who he's made one friend, Willie, Willie and Dickie. Jesus Christ, it's, it's, it's a lot of comments. Willie, Dickie, and Frank. No, nominative, <laughs> nominative, no, nominative <laughs> determinism. Never You're gonna get it one it. day. You're gonna get it one day, man. No, I got it just now. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's too many syllables. Dude, is PJ there's, short for penis Johnson? One extra syllable in there. <laughs> yeah, Peen Johnson is his son. Peen Johnson, Frank. son of Dickie. <laughs> and Maurice is short for more inches, uh, is uh, a grandfather. Uh, so yes, he's he's made friends with Willie, who is openly gay, as openly gay as you can be in this time in Ireland. And they're like together for a while. And it's nice. But then his brother dies. And he's got to go back home. And he gets engaged to a lady. And Willie's like, what the fuck? Because Frank came to Dickie. And he was like, I got to marry this girl. Her dad's going to beat me up. He's like, I'm going to go to England. And, and Dickie is the one that convinces him. Like, don't go to England. That's stupid. Just stay here. Maybe get engaged. Maybe don't. But like, stay. I mean, you love her, don't you? And he's like, well, yeah. But he's like, I don't should- not love her. Yeah. And so... Dickie convinces Frank to like go and just like ask her to marry her, and then he dies, and so Dickie feels obligated to like kind of take his place a little bit, and so he does, and Plus has he a knocked her up tearful that that too, and has like a tearful farewell with Willie. It's like sorry, I have to go do this, and Willie's <laughs> like, "You will absolutely hate your life," and Dickie is like, it does, "I forget what he says, but I'm sure he was probably thinking, yep, absolutely gonna hate it.'" But I want. But I need to do this. Can we just say that it's the way you phrase it? It's amazing that he decides to live as a straight man, so he has to say farewell to Willie. <laughs> <laughs> no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then so it goes back to present time, and Big Daddy Maurice is like, "You fucked up the business." Uh, well, like money's missing and shit. There's and a the, lot that of Polish money missing. kids been stealing catalytic converters. Apparently, yeah. There's a lot of catalytic converters missing. A bunch of money missing. I'm gonna let uh, Big Mike run the business because he knows business good. He's a farmer, by the way. But sure, he's a farmer slash businessman. He like owns a little bit of everything in the town. He's like the boss hog. I was just gonna say boss hog. This place. <laughs> also, he has hogs because he's a farmer. Boss of Hogs. Yes. And uh, Dickie's like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to go turn into a prepper with my friend who's got weird legs. Vic McHugh Boner, whatever his name was. And, you know, they're trying to fix up the house because it's leaking because Vic built it because he's not very good at stuff. But he's... But he watches a lot of YouTube videos. (laughs) Yeah. He might be Dickie's only friend. 
And the wife is openly mean to him too, which is awesome. Like every time yes, she's like, you she suck, she stop building him. things. He's like, okay. <laughs> at, 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 like at one point they see him, she's like, what the fuck is that person? And it's like, oh, it's Vic. And he's wearing a mask. At least that's a mercy. <laughs> and he's got a mask on. He does objectively seem to not be very good at most of these things. The house does have real problems. Like it's all oh, because there's also there's a flood and all the poop gets backed up into the house too. But that's just because they have Irish pipes that are old timey. Let me tell you, man, I had my sewage line back up into my house once, and that is not pleasant. I believe you texted me. You texted us when you, when you said it when you when this happened, and you said. It's like we've eaten nothing but corn here. <laughs> Dude, it was that was how we found out how much corn we eat. Like, wow, <laughs> we really gotta broaden the diet because this is it's like a it's like a ball pit, but it's just yellow and brown balls in this <laughs> in my face. You eat that much corn? <laughs> you know, we had eaten it literally the night before. So it was it was fresh in there. <laughs> but we were both both my wife and I looking at each other like, oh my God. And her, her dad was there helping make, you know, snake of the drain or whatever. And we we're like, oh my God, that's so much. Oh, oh God. It's, it's like the entire Midwest. Uh. <laughs> so we're an hour in and we're halfway through the book. We are more than a halfway. Are we? Yes, because we're at the point where I stopped reading the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, at this point, it starts... It goes. It jumps back and forth between characters, but it's much shorter sections where it jumps back and forth between all of them as the story progresses. Yeah, so, now that he set up his giant dominoes, we could just let them go down. Well, oh, also, we forgot the reason the money is missing is mm. Polish Richard. It says Rizard. I don't know how you pronounce that. The, the girls right. call him Richard, but he is like he corrects them and he says Richard Polishly, and they're like, "Yeah, we're not even going to try." Yeah. So it's the you know so whatever Richard. The, yeah. So uh, it turns out that Dicky missed Willie, and so he starts banging Richard, who is stealing the catalytic converters off cars, and now blackmailing him. And he's like, "Oh, that sucks." Uh, and then it bounces back and forth, you know. Cass is Cass made it into college. It turns out she did good on the test, and she is living with Elaine in a nice little apartment or student housing. I don't. Or know. it's not nice at all. Actually, it's terrible. But at least it's a place. It's somewhere like, away from works, away from so, her family. Yeah, which she hates. And also somewhere around here because it's just chaotic. Um, Imelda sees Rose, who's in a nursing home. She goes to visit her, yeah. And she's like, can you do some more predicting of shit? And it's clear that the woman is, you know, demented. And she's like, who are you? Where am I? And then all of a sudden she's like, oh, Cass is a good girl. And then she starts freaking out. It's like, don't let her come back. Don't have her come back. Don't come back. And she's like, wow, thanks. That was weird. Thanks a lot. She's like, dementia. And, (laughs) no? Uh, Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but so that happens, and you're like, that's probably important later because the woman apparently has real psychic powers. She does seem to have actual wizardry. Uh, yes. So many things happen. Uh, uh, Dickie essentially. So Mor- Morris is like, hey, where is the money Wait, gone? Nate, did, I put, you, did you audio this? I listened to the audiobook. Yeah. I knew it. 
And okay. it, they said it's, it's just Morris. It's spelled Maurice. Maurice, and I just kept thinking of the fucking Bee Gees, because that's the only time I've heard of a man named Maurice. Was the narrator Irish? Yeah. Yeah. No. Actually, they had uh, a number of different narrators. They had a different actor do each of the different characters. Oh, it's like a full stage show. Okay. Could you, but with not, Irish people but not speaking? Like, but not like in conversation. It was just like a different person read the entire section. Oh, yeah, because okay. it's their perspective. That makes sense. Yeah. Did, um, um, did, oh, yeah. Was it, could you actually listen to it at your sped up pace with the Irish accent, or is it? Yeah, yeah. I, I, it, it actually wasn't difficult at all. It was an insanely long book, so I had a lot of practice. Um, so, okay. <laughs> Finally, Dickie has to like try and explain where the money went, but he has to explain it to Big Mike, and it's about like 50,000 euro that are gone. And first he's like freaking out about how am I going to tell this because he doesn't want anybody to know that he doesn't want his family and the whole community and everybody to know that he's gay and stuff like that. And so, but Big Mike is like, you know what? Every business has weird issues. How about you just let me run this business and you just go find something else to do. And we won't ever just have to talk about what happened to that missing money. And Dickie's like, oh my God. That's amazing. And she's like, yes, sure. And so then for like pretty much the rest of the book, although stuff happens, but he's just out, he's just building a survival bunker out in the woods with Victor. And that's just kind of like what they're doing is they're just slowly and, and they're like trying squirrels. to dig a well and hunting squirrels to hunt for, down. For the, like the 10 cent bounty on them or whatever it is. Because they're the gray invasive, squirrels. Yeah. Invasive gray squirrels from North America uh, who are essentially killing all of the red squirrels or just, you know, crowding them out and there's no, like, food Even left the for them. Even the squirrels are ginger there. <laughs> <laughs> squirrels are the rodents of the forest. I mean, they really are disgusting they tree are rats. Rodents, aren't they? They are rodents. Yeah. Don't let those fluffy tails confuse you. They are disgusting little creatures. We drank beer out of one once. They're horrible. I don't want to think. I had blocked that out. Next week, <laughs> next week I'm going to put that beer in the fridge for next week. Because super when you guys are here, hopefully, and... Uh, I told Superfan Eli, I saved him a sip of horribleness. I mean, there's got to be a lot of it left in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got to, you know, get pace ourselves. So he's digging bunkers and hunting squirrels, and Cass is trying her best to tell Elaine that she wants to bang her, but Elaine is like, I think we're holding each other back by not making new friends, (laughs) and I want to bang guys until they're mean to me, and then I'm going to switch to girls. And Cass is like, yes, my time to shine. Uh, but then she still doesn't. Thank um, you, college lesbian exploration. <laughs> it's my only hope. And PJ is like, I'm going to talk to my online friend who's definitely not an online pedophile. And I'm going to, you know, do my best to, because he's been thinking, like, if I run away, my parents will stop fighting because they'll forget about their troubles. And, you know, I'll just come back after a week and everything will be okay again because he's 12. And yeah, that was that's, that's, way that's what the pedophile told him to do. Yeah. Uh, but now it's getting, he's more serious about it because he's out of options and, you know, things are hard and his friend is going to give the money to bang his sister. So things are all, it's kind of like at this point, you kind of see everything falling into place where every, you spent 600 pages building towards one final little moment and you see how it's, oh, I, I get where this is going. So Dickie and Victor are out to get, are building their like bunker when Dickie gets another call from Richard or Richard or whatever it is and says, I need more money. 
and Dickie, like, I can't get more money. I don't even work there anymore. Like, I can't, I have nothing. And Bart Richards, like, you still need to send me more money or I'm going to put even more of videos of us on the internet. Because he recorded all the the bagging. Because he recorded it all. And with, like, a hidden camera and stuff like that. Uh, and, And Dickie is like, Okay, and then he gets the message, like, you know, it was like, uh, I will tell you on Friday where to meet me to bring me the money. And then he, like, gets the message, and he, like, gets the coordinates, and it's like, wait a minute. It's the bunker. It's right, it's, he didn't know that I'm here already, or that I'm already, like, this is my land, and this is my family's, like, property that he was on before, when he found this bunker before. So he's, like, he's going to come here, and Victor is, like, Let's just kill him. <laughs> like, we'll just shoot him. What can go wrong? Because he's going to be right here. Like, because first they're like, well, you know, we've got to meet him in a public place. So what are we going to do? But no, he wants to be out, meet out in the woods right here. Like, and, and so Dickie is like, I mean, he's very conflicted about it, but he's thinking like, this is what I'm going to have to do. Meanwhile, Amelda is starting, is like, Big Mike is like, oh, Imelda, I've always thought you were so attractive. They have like a bunch of stuff back and forth, but Imelda is like, I kind of want to do this. And they like reminisce with each other about their absolutely horrible childhoods and um, about how they both kind of got out of it and they both like understand each other. But it's also, I couldn't quite tell if Big Mike is like being sincere or if he's really just saying Big Mike is a fuck boy. Yeah, he, he's really he, just earlier in the book he had cheated on his wife with the Brazilian housekeeper. The Brazilian what? housekeeper who is now pregnant and back in town, but the Brazilian housekeeper is also Richard's girlfriend. So it's like, oh, everyone comes together, literally come together. Meanwhile, PJ has actually gone to Dublin to see Cat to like did showed up at Cass's, you know, apartment mid party. And so there's like this huge, like giant party with a million people, and Cass is like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "You, you, you never. I, I tried to call so many times, but you never pick up the phone." And so she's like so mad at him, like, "You can't just show up here in the middle of a party," even though she had actually said, "Yes, you can come anytime." And she's so mad at him, tells him to leave because Cass was right about to tell Elaine, like, "Oh, I love you," but she hadn't. Um, anyway, so he, so PJ leaves and he's like trying to get back to the bus. He's just going to walk back through Dublin, back to the bus station. But this is when the like pedophile actually like, it's like, Oh, you won't believe I'm actually here. Why don't you meet me here? And then he sees like this really gross old guy in like wearing like all leather, like chase, like walk down the street. There's no one else out. Oh yeah, I'm almost there. And he like sends a text message. Uh, PJ sends a text message to his online friend Ethan and then he hears the ding from the like weird gross guy and then like runs away and he like manages like scrambles through some stuff get away find the thing and goes into a video game shop and then the hand and then he's like oh catching his breath and then a hand drops on his shoulder end of chapter and then (laughs) so it goes back to Dickie's like oh my god I'm gonna have to do this and then Imelda is like you know what I'm not gonna go have an affair unless I fucking tell Dickie about it first to so just rub it in his face. And, but then, and then she goes through all this like memory of how like, you know, it wasn't actually a beast. She remembers her father on the day he was going to drive her to the wedding and he puts her in the car. She's wearing her wedding dress. And he's like, 
I'm not taking you to the wedding. I'm taking you to England because you can't fucking do this. Do not marry him. And then she says, but I'm pregnant. And he hadn't, didn't know that yet. He's like, are you fucking serious? And then punches her in the face. Now he and whips she a thinks, full can of beer at her head. And she thinks he's actually going to strangle her, like actually kill her right there in the car. And she's like, this is, this is it. And an Irish farmer is like, oh, walks by because they're like literally stopped on the side of the road in the car. Are you having some trouble there? <laughs> and the father's like, oh, no, no trouble. And the farmer's like, oh, but the town is back that way. And the father's like, oh, is it? And then literally turns around, drives up, and then drives her to the place. And he says, you were going to regret this forever. And he's like, but I'm never speaking to you again. And then And then she goes into the into the wedding and then it's goes loops back to like the 20 years ago about all this stuff. And it wasn't actually a bee sting at all. Her father actually punched her in the face, which was another one of those things that's foreshadowed. Cause when Dickie goes to the father's house and then that's a disastrous, you know, Oh, you know, you didn't tell me you were marrying him. Lar, one of the lar speaks to her <laughs> and she's like, Oh, one God, of he's like, dad's really mad. He's really mad. He's gonna, and she's like, "Oh, he's not gonna beat up Dicky, is he?" And he's just, "No, he's gonna beat up you." <laughs> so the brother says, "She's like, oh no, he would never do that because I'm his, you know, perfect daughter that he protects. He abuses the fuck out of his sons physically, you know, pouring like boiling oil on them and shit in his drunken rages. But he would never hurt me. And at this point, at that point in the book, even you know, I was like, I'm pretty sure he's gonna. That's not a bee sting." So you've got this like they're all full of shit. So turns out, uh, PJ the uh, the P, the person who found him in the video game shop was actually Cass because she had gone out. She felt terrible about what she had done, and she was like missing everybody. So she went and found him just by luck, and they got on the bus. And so you've got the, and so we're like, and they like get the bus back to their town, and they're like drop us off, and we'll just walk through the woods, and we'll get to the house. So you've got this situation where Dicky with the gun is waiting for like 10 p.m. It's pouring rain and he's waiting for like Richard to like show up there and he's going to shoot him even though And they're only conflicted. using thermal sights so you can't really see what you're shooting at other than there is something there. Yes. And so Imelda is coming from the house walking through the woods from the house to that spot also cuz she wants to tell him like, oh, she's actually, first she was like, I'm that fucking asshole. I'm just going to tell him I'm going to have an affair. But she's also, like, talking herself out of it. She's like, no, we can we can figure this out again. And she has the memory of when, on the wedding day, when she's like, look, we can, we can feel the baby kick. Meanwhile, Cass and PJ are also coming through the woods from a different direction towards that exact same spot to, like, get to the house. And then it's raining, and the very final like line of the book is like Dickie thinking, "This is I have to do this." Something like, "I have to do this. This is for my family. I have to do this. This is for love. This is for love." There you go. But it's in second person, which is weird. As you do this for love, right? And then the end. It just ends with. It doesn't actually resolve. It doesn't actually like. It kind of implies what might have happened, which is that. Dickie shot one of them, Cass, Imelda. Either the kids or the wife or one kid or baby. It or like implies Richard, because he's still kind of going that way. We don't know exactly. He was supposedly on his way there too at that exact time. And so you don't know. 
it actually doesn't resolve. It is a six, almost 700-page book or 600-and-something-page book, and it doesn't actually have a resolution. <laughs> I was so mad. So brave. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, all because it's like all this stuff and setting up all of these things and like all these plot I lines through 40 pages come of her together. high school poetry classes, and there's no ending. <laughs> It's like, but all these plot lines literally come together with all the characters back in the same place with a really dramatic, like, situation, like, what's going to happen? And then the end. It doesn't tell you what happens. Like, what the fuck? I just, I just had a thought because this book somewhat is about loneliness. All these characters are feeling very alone, even though they're in a, family, but they're not talking to each other, not dealing with shit. They're not working with each other to help each other at all. And so the reason that they don't do this and that people don't do this is because they're afraid of what will happen. Like Elaine, Cass is afraid to tell Elaine how she feels. Imel is afraid to tell anyone what it's really like, you know, being her. PJ is afraid to tell his parents about the money. You know, uh, what the fuck? Dickie's afraid to tell everyone his family is gay. No one's just telling people what the fuck is going on because they're afraid of what will happen. So the minute they're about to finally all come together and figure out what's going on, we don't know either. That's my bullshit art answer. That's my thesis defense, if I had to. See, I think we do know what happens because everything was foreshadowed. The opening line of the book is, did you hear about that guy that killed his family? Yeah. That also oh, is possible. Oh, yeah, that's right. Like, oh, yeah. Well, that wasn't random, right? Probably not. Nothing is random in books. Except well, probably Stephen, Stephen King. Stephen King, probably a lot of random Stephen, shit. Well, Stephen King just has a random amount of testicles, but there's... <laughs> you never know who's going to get them. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, uh, I think this book, you know, because one of the questions is, is this win the booker? It, it, t- it does everything. It tries to do everything. It, it, it tries does almost to, everything there is to it's, do. It's got stuff about gay shit. It's got about the environment. It's got about the economy. It's got about Ireland. It's got a whole lot of experimental It's got about Ireland. Stuff. It's got about Ireland, and there's a good, about, a good amount of Ireland in there. It's got fucking the section with no punctuation. It's got the first, the second person sections. It's got all these different characters. It's got the conflicting narratives. And it's got the fucking no ending ending. It's just too much. It's just too it's much. It's like a bingo card of Booker winner strategies. Yeah. Yes. But do the they bingo, line up? We'll see. The bingo card is all filled in, and you're waving it above your head, yelling Yahtzee. I'm going <laughs> to free parking because it's just everything. <laughs> so I guess before we discuss the Booker, this is our last one. Did you guys like this one? This one, read. Yeah, I did like it. A lot of pissed at the ending, but uh, I did like it was it was like very readable and like definitely related all the characters and it had like a very exciting plot and it just kind of got deeper the more you read. So I liked it. I actually liked it a lot. I enjoyed it. It was like really, really long, probably overly long, but I never felt like it dragged somehow despite being 600 pages plus. Even the even the sections that didn't seem to matter much, right? Like the part with the teach the substitute teacher, they're fun. They were engaging to read, you know. It was I guess because you, you don't know what's going to matter later when it's this much shit. 
Right, but like when I, I mean, maybe it's because I know Stephen King, but use him as an easy example. When you read a book and it's like, why do I get all this shit about this character I don't care about? This is annoying to me. Where in this book, everything that happened kind of mattered at least a little bit because it was about the main characters and just kind of building their experience yeah. in worldview. And it made you care about them more. You know, it made me kind of more invested. And I thought it was, you know, it wasn't a chore. Even these passages, like, well, this is it's just well-written and interesting and just Irish enough that I felt like, ooh, this is a little different than an American writer, but not too Irish that I needed a fucking dictionary. Hmm. Like, oh, what does banjaxed mean? Or like some random Irish words. It was, I thought it was pretty good. I don't think it's Win the Booker, but that was good. I'm I'm finding that a thing that I like a lot in books that comes up sometimes isn't like a major genre thing. Is like the matter of different people's perspectives on the same thing. And like you see everything from Cass's perspective, and you're like, wow, her mom sucks. And you read her mom's things, like, wow, actually, her mom's, I get it, no, 100%. And you get it from every perspective. And every different person adds to why they were acting that way. And it kind of, I, I actually really like that. I think it's interesting. And I think it's a lot like real life. A really funny example of that is so in Cass's chapter, she's talking about, you know, being a teenager and learning about global warming and the environment and like getting more and more like upset, like, oh my God, global warming is going to be so terrible and nothing is happening. And then later in the book, it's Imelda's chapter and Cass is like, mom, you're driving so much. You're going to make the planet get warmer. And Imelda's like, well, get out and walk then. And Cass <laughs> is like, it's mom, it's too hot to walk today. Can't walk today. And it's just like one of those really things that was like, oh, yeah, that's exactly what a teenager would do. Or like what the way a teenager would not understand how annoying that thing is that they're doing. And that her dad makes his money by selling gas cars and when he can't do that anymore, she's pissed he can't go to college. Mm-hmm. Well, teenagers are notoriously dumb when it comes... They have very, very strong, shallow opinions, usually. Yeah. Not just teenagers, most people. That's true, too. But all teenagers, yes. But, I, yeah, I honestly, I think this might have been my favorite of the shortlist, if not all the bookers. Um, I honestly... I don't know if it should win. I don't know if any of them should win. I don't know which of them was like best book of the year material. But I think of the shortlist, I enjoyed this the most. Uh, but it didn't change my life the way like I felt about other, not that they changed my fucking life, but like I, I, certain other past ones were like, wow, this is like an experience that I am, I will remember this. It was very good. It was very, very good. It reminded me a lot of The Corrections. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Or at least just, yeah. it's that kind of story, just kind of like family drama and all yeah. of these like different characters who have all this stuff going on in their lives and the sort of, they kind of, inter- they interact with each other a lot or their stories intersect a lot and you kind of get different perspectives. Corrections was more like, absurd like it was supposed to be funny like it was like the things were happening were so crazy it's supposed to be funny whereas like this one not it wasn't not so much it wasn't supposed to be funny it was just like just really crazy but yeah i liked it a lot i enjoyed it i would you know i would recommend it to people you know like um, unlike even a if lot of the other books, pages you see, i would warn them like hey it's <laughs> it's really long but it's but it's readable absolutely 
whereas, you know, a lot of the other books, I'm just like, no, don't. A lot of the other Booker books we read, and we read 11 of them. I would say at least eight of them, I would be like, no, don't. I wouldn't wouldn't recommend them for sure to anyone that doesn't read a lot. Even people that do read a lot, I still would be hesitant for most of them. Because there's too much. It's not just too much book. It's just... Just too much, too much stuff happening. I, I, how? Imagine someone recommends a book to you, and they're like, "It's a little long, but it's really good. It's worth it," is what they're saying. And then you read it, and you get to the end, and you go, "There's no fucking ending, dude." Thanks a lot, you asshole. I guess that comes down <laughs> recommended to how you, a half a book. How does it define? How do you find worth it? And that's different for everybody. I don't know if if you're someone that doesn't read a lot, is this worth it? Like. What do you get know. out of it? I don't know. I don't fucking know. If I'm not you, sure. I'm not, I'm not taking any lasting lessons from this book. I think it's meant. He's trying to say some, but if you, if you are an infrequent reader and you and you make it through this book, how could you not be pissed off of that ending? I would be apoplectic. If I read two books a year and this is one of them, I'd be like, what the fuck? I read this and the fucking Prince Harry book this year has been garbage. But <laughs> that didn't have an ending either. He's still alive. It's the, the ending of his penis got frostbite on it. <laughs> the, oh, right. I forgot about Frost Dick. It smelled like mummy. Uh, the, it, the book people, the book crowds, the, the literary snobs of the world, including us, could get to the ending of a book like this. And this is not meant to be like a humble brag, but I'd be like, all right, I guess there's a reason. Let me sit and think about that for a while. But yeah. if I was not a person to read it, like, I think most people read a book to be entertained and not educated, per se, not, like, challenged. So if someone was like, oh, you should check this book out, and then and they're not, that's not, like, what they go for regularly, I think they'd be really pissed off at the end of this. I could see that, yeah. But, but they if, wouldn't be pissed off all the way through like study for obedience. And that was terrible. They wouldn't even finish that shit. They would be disobedient. But <laughs> but but to invest that much time and get no ending, you have to be like, come on. That wasn't cool. Just like a But these books are not for regular They're not. People. It's true. And not like we are like scions of knowledge. We just do this at some point it feels like punishing ourselves. Dude, it's been rough. It's been a rough while now. <laughs> I'm so tired of these fucking things. I can't even but finish them. You know, I don't care anymore. Like the it. fucking Booker list is not for the Oprah Book Club. Not that there's anything wrong with Oprah Book Club. It's a different different crowd. So, like, if you read one or two books a year, you're not going to read any of these fucking books. You're not. And maybe you shouldn't because it'll just make you hate reading. And I would get it. I'd be like, yeah, I get it. You chose that. You don't read anything. And you chose that. Fuck. I hate it too. And that's why I think Prophet Song should win this year. <laughs> I don't think it should I be think best. that would be the one that if it did win, I would be okay with that. Not that it matters what I think. Uh, but I'd be like, yeah, that one makes that one makes sense to win. So the when the shortlist was announced, the uh, war in Israel hadn't started yet. But... Mm. Prophet Song is sort of like the most related. I mean, I guess you could say Study for Obedience as well, but I really didn't like that book, so I would say <laughs> Prophet Song. But I don't related. care. <laughs> it's most related, so I would say as the judges are making their you know final selection in the next couple of days or a couple of weeks, what's going to be in the news every single day? 
And what is so what makes what would make a book the most timely book, the most important book of the moment? And it's probably Prophet Song. But you know, you never know how they take that, right? Like if you're if they're the judges, they could also look at it and say something like the beast thing, which addresses so many other daily issues for people. That is true. This is a book that needs to be highlighted because these are these are the experiences of everybody. And you know, they may even if they're cognizant and they're thinking about the Israel thing, they might be like, that is a terrible tragedy. That's what's happening over there is horrible for in so many different ways and such a complex issue. But that's one little pinpoint of the world. The people the world over are dealing. You know, you never know how people interpret those things. There's no way to know what the judges are going to do because it's the new judges every year. It's fucking impossible to predict. But I think the most effective book was Prophet Song because the author's intent was to be like, hey, you know how you sit in your comfortable, you know, Western country and you look on the news and you see turmoil and horrendous shit happening in other parts of the world and you go like, wow, that sucks over there. It's like it, it could, could never happen, happen to here, you though. Too. Right. That's like implied, right? Like it's, it, yeah, that happens in those kind of places. Shithole nations, as one president called them. But he, his point, like it could happen somewhere. It could happen closer to home, too. It could happen to people that look like you. And you're like, I felt that was very effective at the end of the book. I was like, yeah, he's, that, that is kind of a way it could work. And it felt way less, like in hindsight, thinking about what was the fucking, what is it called? The Testaments? Hmm. The Testaments was like, uh, Handmaid's Tale fan fiction. You know, it was just like really, oh, let me just flesh out all the cool Handmaid's Tale stuff that I didn't put and just make it really cool. And then there's a cool revenge story. Did the story Handmaid's Tale win the Booker? No, it did not. Do you think they gave it Testaments because the Handmaid's Tale didn't win? And also, Margaret was old and it was timely and it was like Trump was president and shit like that. I think that I was... I mean, Testaments was very, very good. I really liked it a lot. But, but I think but... it was far, a far inferior book to the Handmaid's Tale. What's the risk of sequels? There's nothing wrong. It's like, listen, you make it, she's an old lady. She needs the money. But like the, <laughs> she probably doesn't. <laughs> it's true. She's Canadian. She doesn't, she has subsidized We never healthcare. did those other two uh, from her series. We should finish those. They're oh, really God. good. She has, she has about 40 books, that lady. She's super prolific. She gets around literarily. Mm, I don't know. I think, um, I mean, if this one, I wouldn't be pissed off. This was definitely not the worst. I liked um, it the most, but I would be surprised if it won... Because I feel like it's not as, you know, like, big issue as the other ones are. And I feel like that's hard as a hard criterion to ignore. Who knows? We'll find out soon enough. All right. Tell us what you thought. Send us an email to DrunkGuysBookClub at gmail.com. Follow us on uh, Twitter at DrunkGuysBC. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at DrunkGuysBookClub. And again, we forgot to mention the Patreon, but if you want to support the podcast, you can get over there. And uh, just do it before a bee stings you and your hands swell up and you can't type in your credit card number. Into the uh, into the computer there, Patreon.com slash Drunk Guys Book Club, and you can join us on Goodreads where we are not reading any more Booker books for another year, or I'll kill myself. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. And thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.